0: Hey, everybody, welcome. It's Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air. I am Larry Wilmore, and I'm Black on the Air. Always good to be back. It's good to be Black on the Air. Thank you for listening. Thanks for talking about the show out there. I really appreciate you guys tweeting at me, saying how much you enjoyed the conversations. Really means a lot. People that are still tweeting about the nightly show, believe me, I miss doing that with all the things going on. Too and miss you, and all that kind of stuff. We have a really, really fun conversation. Well, fun is not the right word. It's, almost, it's kind of intense. It's really interesting. Fascinating conversation with the great Ta-Nehisi Coates of the Atlantic magazine. You remember his book, Between the World and Me, and now he has a new book out, We Were Eight Years in Power, where he talks about um, – the Obama years and frames it in a very interesting way and is a collection of some of his articles. So we had a real good conversation about race and all that kind of stuff. And it was great. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, So I don't have a lot to say before this one. I am looking forward to next week's conversation I'm going to have with uh, Gretchen Carlson. She has a book called Be Be Fierce. And we're going to talk about sexual harassment, sexual assault. And I'll cover the Weinstein thing a little bit in my way. And then I have a lot to say about that because, you guys know I haven't forgotten about that motherfucker either, Bill Cosby. <laughs> you know this is a subject that really means a lot to me, so I'm looking forward to that um conversation next week. um I didn't have much to say today, but I have to talk about this real quick. um this whole trump gold star family thing, the way he uh is talking about this stuff is so offensive, you guys. I was so emotional watching the news last night. And looking at this crap, and uh, I mean, this man, he's, I think someone called him a soulless coward. That was such a good way to describe just his whole relationship to the world. I mean, the fact that we're talking about fallen soldiers, and he would bring up his stupid comparisons that he always has to the rest of the world, like with Obama and who did what and people who called and all that kind of stuff. And it's so disrespectful. And this is the same idiot who has the nerve to say that football players who are kneeling because they're doing their own protest about the state of race relations in America, you know, you could agree or disagree with it, but um, saying that they are disrespecting the flag. And this is a man that called John McCain, said he was not a hero because he got captured. This is a man who has done so much to disrespect the flag and what it stands for in our military, than not only any president, but anybody I ever know. I don't even know anybody who would disrespect the military as much as he has and Gold Star families and all that kind of stuff. And he's so blatant about it. Even some of these reports of the phone calls, which you know, what he said to the grieving widow, supposedly. And it's even, it's almost disrespectful to even bring this up when people are grieving about that Their sons made the ultimate sacrifice, for goodness sake, you know, and to be uh, callous in the way that he is. Because the thing about Trump is that he has no empathy, you know, because he's a uh, sociopath. Sociopaths don't have empathy. He doesn't even have sympathy because he's a narcissist, you know, so he can't even have sympathy, and he can't even relate to the truth because he's he's a liar, all he does is lies, so he has nothing to rely on except his ego in order to communicate. He only communicates through ego, and it is the most uh it is the worst spectacle I think I have ever witnessed, so I don't I, sorry, guys, I don't even have a joke about this, I'm so disgusted by by his words about this issue more than anything else. I am emotional because it is an emotional issue to me. I take that very seriously, that whole issue. It's one of those things. So fuck him, man. Fuck that motherfucker. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> That's all I got. I can't, I don't even have anything clever about this, guys. I'm sorry. I have nothing, but fuck that motherfucker. He's got a lot of nerve, you know, to say that crap. Um, so stop it. Just stop it. All right? Act like you're the president. Stop it. Start presidenting for goodness sake. And just stop all that shit. Just stop it. Tired of it. I'll continue to disagree with you, but I would really love it if I could disagree with you while you're being a, a fucking president and not a an idiot and a monster and a pig, all right? All right. So anyhow God, boy, Larry's angry today. What's going on? <laughs> Sorry, guys. Don't, don't mess with people like that. You know, people are grieving. You, you can't do that shit. It's not right. Anyhow, as I said, got a real fascinating conversation. Thanks, Tommy. Um, with ta Coach. Oh, you know what? Here's something lighter. I'm very excited about my Dodgers. Um, tonight, they're going to play the Cubs again. We got a Cubs fan in here, a couple of Cubs fans. And we're in L.A., so I'm offended by that. I don't even know why you guys would be bragging about that. You don't see me in Chicago going, I'm a dodgy fiend. <laughs> <You know>? So <laughs> it's your own fault for being here. Uh, I think we're going to do it. I think we're going to the World Series. I could be proven wrong by the time you listen to this. I hope fate has not turned around. I hope they are in there. And, you know, we got my Lakers starting pretty soon. So it'll be interesting to see what's coming up. I'm very excited about L.A. sports here. I don't think the Lakers are going to do anything, but I'm very excited about what may happen with the team. So there's a little bit of light (laughs) at the end of that diatribe. Okay, uh, let's do a quick word from one of our sponsors, and then we'll come back and talk to the great ta Coates. All right, welcome back. I'm so excited. I am speaking to, I believe, one of the foremost intellectuals, in the world right now, yes, I am announcing that right now. In the world, <laughs> not just in this country. He's laughing, but he knows it's true. He's the national correspondent for the Atlantic, best-selling author, *Between the World and Me*, and his new book, *We Were Eight Years in Power*, is fantastic. Ta-Nehisi Coates, everybody, welcome to the show, Ta-Nehisi. Thanks for
1: having
0: me. How you doing, man? You're in Chicago right now. You're on your book tour, right?
1: I am. I am. I am. Which is the worst part of the book, but yeah. okay, it's all
0: right. Well, I appreciate it. Right. this. Is a I'm b- grateful. Oh, always. But I'm so excited. There's so many things to talk to you about. But talk about your book, because I'm a big fan of these types of books, because, first of all, um, I want you to e- explain some of it. But um, it it primarily is a collection of your work, which I think is great, because it allows people to kind of see your journey in writing form, as well as you have a kind of a way you're framing the book where you're, you're kind of um, looking at each period. From your perspective mm-hmm. now, I guess looking back, which is kinda of interesting. You wanna talk about mm-hmm. the structure of that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so uh I think um I had talked a lot, you know, to my editor Chris Jackson about the possibility of doing some sort of compilation of the writing I had done at the right. Atlantic uh during the Obama years. And when mm-hmm. I went back to look at that writing, I, I actually was flooded
2: mm-hmm. with
1: memories of, you know, things that had happened, you know, along the way, uh personally. Yeah. And, you know, one of these, and I obviously knew this, but I, you know, this came, you know, roaring back, um, I had been, you know, a barely employable journalist uh, right. when Barack Obama was, was, uh, <laughs> you know, I uh, became president. And so, you know, Amazing. Uh, yeah, 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 no, but it's, it's true. It's true. Yeah. And I, and you know, actually, I don't know if you found this for yourself. Um, but I know I found, at least in the world of journalism, mm-hmm. um, that people were suddenly curious about black things yes. <laughs> in a way they they weren't before. Um, I've talked to you know folks like I talked to um, Brad yeah. Jenkins about this, right? And he felt like you know in the film world, you know, that there, there definitely was a level of curiosity,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like it's an interesting question. Could there have been a blackish right yeah. without uh, a Barack Obama? You know what I mean? Like sure. with that with that space has been open, and maybe it would. I, I don't know. Right. Um, what I do know is I wouldn't have had the opportunity. You know, so a lot of the book is about that. You know, it's about yeah. literally, you know, sort of me, you know, going
0: through that. I found, yeah, I really loved that part. It was so, it allowed us uh, into you in a very personal way. I mean, it it was very raw, I thought, and very honest about kind of how you viewed, you know. Just wanting to have a place at the table, not even knowing if you're worthy, because that's what writer, people don't understand, like the kind of uh, masochism it takes just to be a writer and the self-flagellation that goes into it. Right. And just wondering uh-huh. if you're worthy and, and people to hear, wait, Tanahasi Coates wondered if he was even worthy. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know? And it's mixed with there's a confidence in there also. But until it's buttressed by acceptance, it can't really come together. Do you find that true?
1: I do. I do. I mean, I guess, you know, like to write on some level, you have to have some sort of confidence. You know, yeah. Sort of of course. You,
0: you start you with that,
1: yeah. Yeah. So that's fair, but um, you don't really know how good you are. Like, you don't you're know. Good, but you don't really know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you've had um, the sort of experiences that, again, I mean, you know, if you're in your field, like you guys, you guys really have to. See, with me, like, like journalists, people yeah. usually think that it's a pretty straight shot. You know what I mean? Go to a good school. You work at it like you always are supposed to have some way to you know pay your keep, um, you know because it, it, it's not seen as the way acting, singing, whatever. Like that, that, mm-hmm. that it's not seen as that route. But honestly, Larry, I found my route to be much closer than that. Like mm-hmm. when I look back, it felt more like an actor, you know, uh, because there was so much failure and rejection yeah. along the way, and you, you need to have some level of confidence to get through that. Yeah, I think. I would have understood if I had gotten to some point where I was, you know, relatively stable and decently read, that probably would have met my expectation. Mm-hmm. Everything else that happened is beyond, That is, is pretty much beyond what, what I expected.
0: Yeah, I find that when you have more of an original voice, sometimes it's harder um, at the entry point for people to accept you initially.
1: That's it. Yeah, That's it. That's and it, because they're trying to fit you in a box, you know. That and there is no knows. box.
0: There is no box there for right. you. Yeah.
1: right. Right, right. And that was exactly it. I remember when I, I got a job. Uh, this just the last of three jobs that I lost mm-hmm, right. uh, in about seven years. But I, I got hired at Time Magazine. And my wife was actually, at that time, was working at a, at a magazine that was yeah. owned by the same company. And we thought, okay, this is it. We've made it. You know right, what I mean? Right, it's Time Magazine. <laughs> right. Time Magazine. You know what I mean? And I was on my way out within two years. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you
0: know,
1: it doesn't always work like
0: that. No, you never know when that, when the... When that proper door is going to is going to uh, open, and uh, part of mm-hmm. it for you, I guess, is are the Obama years. You you bring that up. I would argue that you would have had your moment for something else because I think good writing finds it finds something to write about. It, I believe. But wait, um,
1: can I can I just can I? Can I, I actually want to. I know you're doing it, interview, but I just want to sure. push you on a little bit of that. You must like throughout your time have come across people who you felt were remarkable talents.
0: Absolutely. And the
1: time just didn't, like the light just didn't hit them right for whatever reason. Like no fault of their own, It just like, Completely. the
0: door
1: wasn't open. That's a thing, right?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, we could talk for hours about this, but showbiz is a little more fickle in that sense. You know, uh-huh. there are people that uh-huh. have talent, but for some reason, the, the zeitgeist just doesn't say, we want to listen to that right now. You know, <clears throat> even though the zeitgeist acknowledges that they're still good. They just say, but we just don't want you in our faces right now. And uh-huh. then they're it's true. It's funny how that works where they, it's like, no, it's not that yeah. we don't like them. We just don't want them around us right now, you know? And yeah. then the Zeitgeist guy says, <laughs> you know, actually, we want to spend some really quality time with you right now. Can you just be with us for yeah. a minute? And then they get tired of that and yeah. push you away again. But they still, they still acknowledge you. Like if you look at the music business does that a lot where you see what mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. are important versus what artists are just good, you know? Like, right, like right, Springsteen right. is always going to be important, but is he going to have a top song right now in the charts? No. Uh-huh, but are uh-huh, people going to say uh-huh. he's still an important artist? Of course. He's never stopped being good, yeah. but he's not charting. Yeah. You know, so yeah. the Zeitgeist, so I believe, I'm, only I, gives us a little bit of information. It tells uh, us, It tells us what's popular, but it doesn't always tell us what's important. And I think... Through the lens of history, I think we get more of an appreciation of what's important, you know. So
1: I have to tell you, like what yes. you just described feels very, very familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, and not not just to me, but to, you know, some of the other African-American writers yeah. um, who, you know, really, you know, what became prominent during that period. My friend mm-hmm. Nicole Hannah-Jones. We just want to make a MacArthur Fellowship. I mean, much like me, you know, yeah. when she was toiling away as a reporter, she was very quick. Yeah. She was going to go through PR. I mean, it just didn't. And it's not like Nicole or myself, you know, for that matter. Like, I don't feel, I feel like I know more today, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like I'm any fundamentally different. I don't think like Barack Obama got elected and I suddenly, <laughs> or, you know, like yes. I suddenly became doubly talented or something like right. that. But it, it felt like, as you're saying, like, suddenly, you know, like, I had been interested in the things I was always interested in. Yep. And suddenly the country was like, we want to okay. spend no quality time with All you.
0: right, brother, we're ready to hear you right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, that
1: was how it Right. That was how it felt. Cause it's true. Because it wasn't true. like we weren't saying these things or asking these questions before, but suddenly Absolutely. it was like, huh. You know what I mean? What what is this South Side? You know, what's this world that? <laughs> tell us about tell us
0: about your Negro about? life that we want to know about. Right, you know? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And it, and what's interesting right. about about your book? Part of what I I love history, you know, and and like mm. one of my favorite phrases that I tell people because I'm old enough. Like, if people talk about the 70s or the 80s and the young, I say, look, you're a researcher, but I'm a witness. You know, I was there. <laughs> right. You know. Right. But right. I but I do believe research is important, and I think. Part of what's so valuable about your book is the history in it and the research, um particularly the way you frame eight years in power, which is taken from the end of reconstruction. It's more of a not it's kind of your framing technique where it's both about Obama mm-hmm. and about that period. Mm-hmm at the end of Reconstruction. Can you talk about that and explain that a little bit? Because I I love, as a a creative person, I love those types of framing devices, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I was reading a book uh, at the time that I was this together by uh, I.W.B. Du Bois called Black Reconstruction.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: It was a history of Reconstruction and he was talking about, he was discussing a period of 1895 Right. uh, in South Carolina where basically black people in the country uh, were stripped of all you know, civil rights, you know, voting Mm -hmm. power, any, you know, ability to serve on jury, et cetera. And there was a guy who had been a congressman during Reconstruction earlier, so right, coming right out of the Civil War.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. He just couldn't understand why the state of South Carolina was doing this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he said, you know, he addressed the Constitutional Convention and stood up and said, you know, uh, we were eight years in power, you know, during our time. You know, basically said, we built the apparatus of a state government you know, here in South Carolina, what, what could be bad about that? Yes. And the boys, you know, all these years later, uh, observing that, looking back on that, says that what this gentleman failed to understand was if it was one thing that South, white South Carolina feared more than bad Negro government, it was good Negro government.
0: That is but amazing. It,
1: it was, yeah, I mean, it was the fact that they had been so successful because it so much undermined, you know, the ideas of white supremacy.
0: Absolutely. That was seen as a
1: threat. And I, I really saw some of that, you know, in, you know, Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, joked that like, um, if you're looking for like ambassadors for black folks, it don't get much better than the Obamas. Like, exactly. you know what I mean? And I'm not saying they literally are the best. But right. I mean, in terms of like what the society says it wants to see out of people and out of families. Right. Well, this is, you know, you got, you know, you got Ivy League trained lawyer married to another Ivy League trained lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you live, know, the mm-hmm. live the American dream live the American dream dog name you know I mean and you know what happens is half the opposition party says uh, we don't believe it he's not a citizen right. <laughs> like that's the response yeah you know and it, it, it's um, it's depressing to see that you know what yeah. I mean because it's like okay we gave you our best this is our
0: best it's very um, insidious in some ways um The successful, respectable, and independent Negroes ultimately more threatening than an angry, powerless one. You know.
1: That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, because I believe it's the
0: powerlessness that people are comfortable with, and they don't. You can be as angry Mm -hmm. as you want as long as you're powerless, and we're cool with that.
1: Right. 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 And the anger is like they're very comfortable with the anger. I mean, when my Mm
0: -hmm.
1: second book came out. And even to this day, you know, people, oh, Tanahashi so angry, so angry. <laughs>
2: yeah, Why are you so angry? And
1: why are you so angry? I mean, <laughs> yeah. that was constant,
2: constant
1: mm-hmm. refrain, you know. It always went, went back to that. And I think that's because that's something that, you know, as you said, I'm much, much more comfortable with and much more able to deal with.
0: And I think a lot of people, when I was bringing up the history of your book, a lot of people don't understand really what happened to blacks in America during this last period, like Mike Ditka, just said something. I don't. I don't get all this. There hasn't been impression in the last hundred years. years. These that I know of, years. that you know of. Well, a motherfucker, you years. need to do a little research. <laughs> what do you mean that you a know of? Years, man. That's like saying the sky isn't blue that I know of. I mean, I haven't even looked outside. A <laughs> hundred years.
1: But uh, when Barack Obama was running for senator uh, uh, in Illinois... I remember, yeah. Uh, and, you know, he, he had these opponents dropping out. Mm-hmm. They tried to draft Mike Dichter to run against him. Hilarious. That was... <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like Mike Dichter is clearly, you know, knowledgeable enough to actually go up. I mean, this was a thought people had, you know? Yeah. incredible.
0: But uh, But also just explaining to people things about sharecropping and what that was mm-hmm. actually like. Redlining mm-hmm. And what that actually meant to people's lives, how blacks mm-hmm. were systematically shut out by just things as simple as collusion. You know, it didn't even have mm-hmm. to be in the law. Many things were in, also in the law. But just an, a tacit acknowledgement by society is like, no, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. You don't get to yeah. share in the riches of the American dream. if, But only if if you're, um, you know, if you really, really are an anomaly, then you can.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, then, you know, Larry, the other pieces, um, not only do they like underestimate what happened, like what private institutions and public institutions did to black folks. Yes. Um, they underestimate what those same institutions did for white folks. Right. You know, um, and so, you know, it's this feeling Mm -hmm. that the suburbs look the way they look because industrious white people went out into the suburbs, planted stakes, and then, you know, the suburbs bloomed. Um, There's very, very little understanding that this was social engineering, that the Mm -hmm. government (laughs) created, you know, the middle class and created the suburbs as we, you know, know them today. They, you know, uh, uh, backed home loans for people, you know, that allowed them to, you know, uh, uh uh buy homes, you know, at a relatively with a relatively low amount of money down, ten percent down for instance, which was not the case mm-hmm. you know, before the nineteen thirties and nineteen forties. And that black people were singularly cut out of that. Right. So at the same time, you know, a leg up is actually being given to white folks, you know, they're breaking black folks' legs. You know, it's just the two, you know, running together.
0: Yeah, well, why do you think um it's so difficult for so many whites. And I would even say even well, many well-meaning whites that they can't accept the legacy of the mistreatment of blacks in America.
1: You know, I've, I've increasingly thought mm-hmm. that a large part of it, and again, I'm not trying to shift the conversation to you, but I I've, I I think a large part of it is, is the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, um, you know, when Birth of a Nation is such a revolutionary film, mm-hmm. um, when, you know, to this day, you know, Gone with the Wind is still flying off the shelves, mm-hmm. um, like that speaks to a story that the country tells itself over and over and over again. And the, the actual history does not match up to, to that story.
0: To that and myth? I think it's
1: very, to that myth, there you mm-hmm. go, to that myth. And I think it's very hard for people to accept. No, it really is your country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like this, this happened. I mean, um, because it's coming, you know, all, all sorts of ways. You know, when I was a kid, man, and you know, Dukes of Hazard was on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I never questioned Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> I never, you know, even going up in the kind of household, I did. I never thought. Wait, hold on. Wait, wait, I love that statement.
0: That I never questioned Dukes of Hazard It's a fantastic sentence. Right. <laughs>
1: Right, But you would today. You understand? Like you couldn't actually do that today. You know what I mean? Um, Like that would actually be a problem today. You know, there would be an entire, but I didn't. And so I think for so long that the country has told itself this story, Mm -hmm. it makes it hard to reconcile that with with the actual history.
0: You know, I know you're a fan of Baldwin. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, it's funny how, you know, we were just talking about zeitgeist and, how people can hear things at certain times and certain times they can't. I think Baldwin now more than ever, his words are ringing so powerful, especially his extemporaneous speaking even more so than his, his, uh, his literary work. I found his extemporaneous speaking to be probably the most fascinating part of his character. Um, Yeah. It's
1: pretty pretty incredible.
0: It really is amazing. And he talks a lot about, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but he really talks about in terms of sin too, you know. He sometimes he uses religious metaphors and and he really he really sets it up as this unfair game that that you just can't understand, but it's so apparent to him and it's so alive in his body. Even as he's speaking, he can't stop his eyes from bugging out, you know. No, he can't. At the can't. shock yeah. that you have no ability to empathize with him, you know. Right. Uh, right. I find right. his words so powerful now, I think even more than at the time, because at the time, many people had that type of outrage, you know, but I think people have lost yeah. that sense of outrage about that original sin and the continuing sin.
1: And you know what? I think he's uniquely fitted for the technology of this age. At a point when people trade around like sure. little clips and YouTube That's so true, you know, videos, there's so much of him up there. That's a you good know, point, up there. Yeah, I mean, so it's like uniquely fitted, and he was such a performer. And, yeah. you know, he came out of the black church, mm-hmm. you know, so he had that. The extemporaneous speaking was not, you know, a new mode for him. Right. Um, he, he had had, you know, experience. So, and I, 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 you know, I agree with you. I think, you know, he's so striking. Yes. There's a. a, a, a Video of him debating William F. Bosley, oh, it's great it's at Cambridge no
0: it's fantastic oh my God I, I, Huss, I saw this years oh. ago, like I'm one of the early settlers with that one, you know, and I used to tell people <laughs> about this thing. I was like, this is the most fantastic thing ever and I, I actually thought about maybe doing it as a stage play, like recreating it or something you know because wow, it's really? well here's the thing though what's fascinating about it and it's it's something about being an expatriate and that type of feeling sometimes. You can even go to Josephine Baker even has this phenomenon or even Robeson. Like many times when blacks are overseas, they get accepted in a way that they don't hear and their voices yeah. are heard. And I believe, like he got a standing ovation that he was not expecting when he yeah. finished speaking. Yeah, I mean, it mm-hmm, it completely mm-hmm. took him by surprise. And if you look at his face, mm-hmm. you can see how mm-hmm. genuinely touched he is by it, you know? And not mm. not only that, those students were so moved by his words, you know, and it, I mean, they didn't just appreciate it. Yes, it was a debate. And William M. Buckley, by the way, was fantastic, too. You know, it really was a good mm-hmm, debate. Mm-hmm. You, I don't even think we can have something mm-hmm. like that. Even though Buckley was wrong and he was condescending on right. parts of it, it was very, very well thought through his speaking. Right. Mm-hmm, but Baldwin mm-hmm. touched them in a way they had not been touched before. He cut through just an yeah. intellectual um argument and he he created empathy for this audience, and and I believe one of the reasons is because they weren't the ones being accused. Like that, I was, think that's
1: totally true. That was an American thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah. think it's totally true. I think it's like as you just you know alluded to when you started. I always tell people that, um, you know, the year I spent in France, like I was yes. received a particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say. I have to say, you know, I've met enough black people over there who were from the francophone world who are very clear with me that had I been from Senegal. Yes. Had I been, you know, from, <laughs> France like, has its own issues. Right? Let's be
0: clear about France. Right. It has its own issues. Right, 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 right.
1: But no, but I think your, your, your point is correct. It's it, like I'm not their friend, right? Like, That's when I go exactly over there, right. I'm, I'm not, I, I don't, you know, you don't represent that. I'm not as the, as the guy a, that did I, that okay, to you. Right, Bronx. right. Right, exactly. Right. That's there's a some, there's, some extent you know, uh, you'll hear, you know, the same thing from, you know, uh, Africans who come over here, that they' right. relationship is a little different. That's true. You know what I
0: mean? That's absolutely true. They're they African-American. Do, they african american they do not have that emotional connection to the sins of slavery mm-hmm. that American That's blacks right. have, you know, or blacks have right. been here a couple of generations. So it is kind of, right. it's very interesting, that, that mix of it, but um, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just find that so interesting. I, I love how, now I have to say, I made this joke a year ago, but I'm giving you credit to it for um I said man last year Trump had white people going to the polls like they were voting for the first white president you know when I was saying um,
1: oh,
2: No I made that
0: <laughs> I was speaking at I was speaking at uh I think I said it at Harvard too I was speaking there last year after the election and uh uh-huh. so I did make that joke and I was like oh my god the has it his book first white president but townie are we wrong are we wrong <laughs> No no it's correct it's correct I mean once you
1: understand that like you know, whiteness is a thing. Like it's a thing. that an idea. It's not the mere presence of you know lighter skin or blonde hair or you know certain colored eyes. It's a decision that that matters, and that that's a way to you know identify people. You know, then you understand that like you can you know say yes. There have been you know people who fit this physical description mm-hmm. before. This phenotypical description before. But this one mattered in a way that others did not because the dude before him was black. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, that that's the real driving point of it. This has never happened. It's never been that, you know, right. the next guy was following somebody black and that yeah. they really, you know, pulled together their, their, their identity. Yeah. From that. I mean, even to the like, like you know, uh, the thing is, you know, it's going through this. He's going through this thing this week about you know whether he you know called these families. Uh, it's so horrible. You know uh, where somebody died, and what does he do? Immediately he goes back to Obama. What did Obama do? It You know, that's no. his identity. That's his identity. You know yeah,
0: we called it we called it the unblackening uh, on our show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what we called it <laughs> uh, because you know I firmly feel that most elections, presidential elections, I'll say are more a reaction to the previous administration than they are a contest Uh between the two individuals, including the last one. I felt Trump beat Obama. He didn't beat Hillary. I felt that's what he was running against, you know. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Although I have to tell you, I think if he ran against Obama, Obama would have ran
0: him over. Oh, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he he beat him— Yes, he beat him because he wasn't running, but that's who he was running against, you right. know. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, Like, in other words, it used to be, it's the economy stupid, but last year it was, it's the niggas stupid. <laughs> like, that's yeah, it exactly. is. <laughs> totally. totally, I mean, it was a completely totally. different thing. But the thing is, and it, even though that's a that could be taken as a, I don't know if superficial is the right word or observation or joke, it's not just... It, you know it's this foreigner status that Obama was relegated to, you know um right. that was the thing that offended me the most that started in that whole birtherism mm-hmm. movement and uh mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and
0: treated as that foreigner and part of that make America mm-hmm. great again is removing that foreign presence, you know
1: that's right, that's uh, right, that's right, that's right i mean and that for um african Americans unfortunately is not an unfamiliar. You know, uh, peace. I didn't even put this in, in there, but, you know, mm-hmm. this is history. Um, I don't remember the first time I read this. I thought this was crazy. You know, mm-hmm. by this uh, law professor, Randall Kennedy. In his books, he talks about how, in like some of the earlier July 4th celebrations, mm-hmm. they would drive black people from the public square. Mm-hmm. Like, it offended them that black people would try to participate, you know, or claim any sort of mm-hmm. American status. So there's always been this sort of discomfort. Mm-hmm. with the idea that we're really, you know, uh, a part of this. You know, much less built it, but, you know, really, really a part of it. And that, you know, that, that came to fruition with the whole birth of this piece, which, you know, I think people kind of relegated it as a side phenomenon. I mm-hmm. think we can now say it was a lot bigger than people thought it was. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think sometimes it's hard to accept it, you know what I mean? But it, it's quite was. Uh. Yeah,
0: and and I'm of the thinking, I, I certainly don't think— that the majority of white people in this country feel that way you know mm-hmm. i really mm-hmm. do think right. it is a very strategic minority that was that that was very consciously gone after <laughs> like this was not mm-hmm. accidental you know but i think you know it, so I, I i don't ascribe that to everybody you know certainly but i do right. think that that feeling right. is there cuz uh, you know a lot of those emotions come out in other ways too you know with this fight against just mm-hmm. just uh the the way that the administration looks at immigrants in general, and that they have to pass some kind of of test that is different than any other kind of test, you know. Right, right,
1: right. No, it's there. It's there, and it's um. I don't know. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they actually said, "What do you think our kids are going to think about this?" Mm-hmm. You know, like fifty years from now. And I, this is going to be. It's going. It's going to be tough to explain. This it's going to be interesting. You know. know?
0: You know yeah. so a lot of your essays they're very interesting to look at now um years later <clears throat> I thought this one of the more striking things is your Cosby um essay and you you got to mm. you sat down with Cosby back then didn't you didn't you actually speak to him
1: He did at the end um, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to him a lot more but he found the much badgering he did yes
0: Yeah and he did. because of all the the rape allegations and everything um, after I think you did all this that became public, I think a lot of people forgot mm-hmm. about what was going on with him during this time, you know, the whole pound cake speech and, and that. Yeah. Do you want to remind people what that pound cake speech was? And, and, Ooh. cause there's this whole other thing that's going on in the black community. And I think it's a kind of a resting over what is the real problem and, who is at fault for the problem? Yeah. You know, it's yeah, it's it's almost to well, me, it's I, almost like a black on black crime in some ways. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, is. it is. I mean, like I think, like um, I saw so I you know uh, I used to live uh, in Harlem, mm-hmm. and you know I would you know uh, me and my wife would talk mm-hmm. um in our in our private moment about how you get up in the morning and they are you know you go to work and there's folks on the corner and you come home and those staying folks, folks are on the corner. Mm-hmm. And you get frustrated. And you get really, you know, really, really frustrated. And mm-hmm. there is a private conversation that happens between, you know, black people. Um, you know, the niggas ain't shit conversation. Right. Um, they, you know, ain't this some nigga shit. You know what I mean? Like, right. Sort of,
0: or the Chris know, Rock back joke. And yeah.
1: Forth. yeah, or the Chris mm-hmm. Rock joke. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, but I think as Chris Rock found out, when that becomes public, mm-hmm. you know, the tenor change is A, B, when it starts to become like a serious conversation as though it's a replacement for policy, for, for actual things that happen, you mm-hmm. know, for say redlining or that it belongs right. in. The, I think that's where you get into trouble. Mm -hmm. I think that's where you get into trouble. I I went, you know, to a a historically black college, and Mm -hmm. the things we say in our private moments about that college, oh, my God. You you know what I mean? But I love it. You know, I love love, love how. I adore how. You know what I mean? But, you know, Mm -hmm. the thing we joke about, you know what I mean? I (laughs) understand. God damn, I can't believe. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's how it, you know, just as a side note related to this, though, uh, is I think, like, I always tell people, like, one of the things that people underestimate about Barack Obama that black people love was well, like he not embarrassed you he never you you know he ever looked at Barack as like no, he thought some nigga shit. Like you never thought that, right? You know what I mean? Well, and like, well, we, we didn't.
0: Neg- <laughs> right? We, we did. Yeah, <laughs> <right. laughs> That's exactly right. We did. We didn't, right?
1: Right, right, It was no, like no, but I know what you are saying Jackson like with the like love say, child. Can you believe it? Can you, a, can you like, believe it? And
0: you always say it at the at the right. at a higher at a higher octave.
1: Can you believe that nigga did? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You, know, you never had to have that conversation and was right. like oh thank God
0: because that thank was God that I was
1: gotta you know explain yeah to me that <laughs> was always
0: the worry like if Sharpton ever really Tid takeoff was my word that oh, there might be some nigger shit going on here that we're all gonna have to right, exactly. we're all gonna have to acknowledge at some point. <laughs> and say, you're right, America, you're right. There some nigger shit just happened. You're right. I we apologize. Some shit just right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, he never he never gave you cause to have to do that. And so I yes. think like we're very, very attuned. Like we don't like being embarrassed. You know what I mean? We see mm-hmm. ourselves in this situation and even if we know why, we wanna feel like Everybody's pulling their weight, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean, to get us out. And it can be frustrating, man. And so I think, like,
2: like
1: when I went to see, like, when Bill Cosby would do those talks, when he was doing this pound cake speech where he was, you know, going off on, you know, how people were dressed and, you know, certain mores and, you know, in the Mm African-American community, I I think for a lot of folks, it rang some bells, man. I think, you know, it Mm
0: -hmm. was... And those speeches, (laughs) you know, it was an
1: expression of a lot of frustration.
0: I think part of it was generational as well. Like, definitely. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind Mm -hmm. of in the middle of those generations. You're certainly, Mm. I believe you're in the generation just past me where, like, Mm -hmm. stop stop talking, motherfucker generations. Just stop that, you know. And my father's in the generation of applauding for him and standing and saying, that's right. You know, pull your pants up. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, Yeah, wait. First of all, this nigga's a rapist is what I'm thinking, you know. <laughs> and <then> secondly <laughs> and I know I know that nigga was an I spy and everything that he did. I know he's just an actor, first of all, and all that. That's the way I look at it, you know. And yeah. I'm kind yeah. of the person that I believe I can see both of those issues, you know. And uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it is it is complicated only in the sense that I think many blacks don't are uncomfortable about other people hearing that conversation. Is that fair? More than that conversation Ah. itself is because there is, look, let me put it a different way. There is a type of speech in black America, in the black churches, in the black home, that is an indictment type Mm -hmm. of speech, you know, yes, that's been around forever that worked, but you're right. That's, that's family. That's between family. And I think part of the exposure of putting the laundry out there was like, no, we don't talk like that around everybody you know they don't need to hear this yeah. conversation i right. remember jesse jackson was mad at obama because obama said some of these things when he was running for president and right do you remember right. when jesse was in the news he said i want to cut his nuts off or he said something. Cut his nuts <laughs> off. yes exactly cut he said cut his nuts <laughs> off yeah. it was at an open mic because yeah, i yeah. he will he yeah. he didn't disagree with obama he disagreed with the form yeah. that he was having that conversation in. yeah i have to tell
1: you it it, it, it bothered me from obama too yeah But it bothered me because he was president of the United States. Like, it just Mm -hmm. felt like, well, when you're the president, you now have assumed the mantle of the people that put us in this problem to begin with.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So you kind of, you know, lose the right. If you want to be, you know, with a a bunch of black kids, you know what I mean, on the south side of Chicago and have that conversation, I got no problem with you. Right. Um, but to address as you know the titular head of the country and talk that way, mm-hmm. it just it, it, it felt it felt a little different to me. I, I, I do think you're right. It definitely is a, um, a different feeling, you know, mm-hmm. when, when when that when that conversation <laughs> becomes public. But part of it is because you know you are in an environment of people, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. who frankly are a little hostile. <laughs> you know what i yes.
0: yes, exactly. I
1: mean,
0: That's right. So, Tell them, Cosby. Right,
1: right. That's right. Tell him God. That,
0: that, that's we, what Fox what and happened. Friends are I mean, saying. We, right. Yeah.
1: What that's yeah. exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly exactly right, and that happened. Yeah. You know, I remember when uh, Don Imus when he did the not behead the hoes thing. Sure, and that went down, and suddenly this became a conversation about hip hop. Mm-hmm. Right now, listen. There are all sorts of things and announcements you can have about hip hop. I'm not opposed to that conversation, mm-hmm. but like it suddenly got turned from Don Imus. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? To yeah. like, what was going on over here? And I think there's always
0: a fear something like that happened. Yeah, that, that detour. Yeah. Where, do you, um, where do you put Obama in terms of his presidency? In terms of the black community, uh, people look at it in different ways. Like, let, let's take it one at a time. Like, do you think he was an effective president to help the problems that are going on in the black community? Like, for that issue?
1: I think he was as, as effective as probably anybody else mm-hmm. when it got elected.
0: Do you think there were um um his the expectations were too high or not high enough or were they met? What what, what is your opinion of that?
1: I mean it's hard to say because I don't I actually, you know, he was like popular with black folks through the whole time. So I don't know that black folks were ever disappointed in him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know there's certain, you know, black intellectuals, you know, who were disappointed in him. Um I was disappointed in how he talked sometimes. Uh, I was. Why,
0: why were black intellectuals disappointed with Obama? People like Cornel West, uh, I think, took, uh, took issues. Yeah. With
1: okay. So I think there are two critiques. I think there's one critique that just um, that's more policy based. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, that says, listen, we're trying to make a more just world. Mm -hmm. You know, we want X, Y and Z and we don't feel like you're moving fast enough on that. So, for instance, uh, I think there should be a public option because I think, you know, that would you know help black people in a particular way because we have a disproportionate number of the uninsured. And you're not for that. So that's a critique, right?
0: It was very, very uh, (laughs) connected to policy, policy, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Right, right, right. Then then there was the... um, I didn't get tickets to the inauguration critique. That's a, <laughs> that's hilarious. That's a different critique. Yes, that's
0: fantastic.
1: <laughs> that's, that's a different critique. Yeah. Um, and I think that was out there. I think that definitely, wow. definitely was out there. there. There were people who, you know, felt... Um,
0: they, weren't they, weren't the it. Yeah. they weren't invited to the cookout.
1: They weren't invited to the cookout. Yeah, I was, I wasn't invited to the cookout. And I think that was a lot less, you know, legitimate. But I know, you know, during my time, you know, even, you know, when I have my critique, I always had to, you know, reconcile the fact that, you know, most black folks thought he was incredible.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, um, even if I found myself disagreeing with that that feeling, you know I mean? You, you have to, like, folks feel that way. It's a real thing, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Were you disappointed in Obama? Were you, were you where did you end up? Running? Did you go through nah, different stages? No, nah, I
1: think I, I felt like I got what I voted for. Okay. I
0: felt like I got what
1: I voted what for. What were you voting I, for? I did, I did not Um, I was voting for the first black president of the United States of America. Mm -hmm. And I, I understood what that meant. I understood that meant that the majority of the people who, uh, were, you know, of the electorate would not be black Yeah, and would not come from my experience. And that, you know, would be, you know, who he was serving. I understood that he would be hemmed in, Mm -hmm. um, and not even hemmed in that dispositionally. You know his politics would probably not be where my mind were.
2: Mm-hmm. You know
1: what I mean. In addition to being him, then, right. um, I I got that. I didn't vote expecting a revolution. Yeah. You know that that wasn't really um what I thought. I did think that maybe there were some things that were now true at a country that I didn't know mm-hmm. um to be true. Like and Maybe they were to some extent, but well, <laughs> like I can remember like being a child and like thinking. Well, I can't even go to Idaho because I know black people. Are like, I can't, like, you know what I mean. Like, I can't go to right. North Dakota. I can't go right. to Washington or Iowa, anything like that. And when hmm. he won Iowa, I was like, Jesus, man. Yeah. I mean, even when he won, like, you know, the Democratic primary in certain states, mm-hmm. like, I was like, wow. I mean, I, I know it was only Democrats, but still, I mean, that's still white folks in those, in those areas. Do
0: do you, um, do you think I, there's? I do you think there's a a black bubble? that is out there where many blacks don't know that hey, there are many many whites who aren't feeling the way that you think that they're feeling you know but you haven't been out and experienced that
1: I think what happens is that like there's white folks in the sense that we talk about them as a general thing mm-hmm. um, and then there are actual individual white people mm-hmm. um, and I think that Given where the country was in 2007, mm-hmm. you know, given two failed wars, given what was going on in, in the economy, maybe it was underrated that there was some amount of flexibility among individual white people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, I, and I think that was ultimately a good thing. Like realizing that for me, like it did, it it, it made the country feel a little bit more malleable to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I still take that by the way. Like I still feel that way even now. Um, There were just realizations that I had, you know, after that 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 I, I hadn't had at
0: the time. Do you think his election says something about the current state of race mm-hmm. relations, or or does it say something else? Cause, I do. Because he was do, elected I I mean, twice, I, you know, and he and, was. Yeah, he
1: was. And you can't write that off. I mean, I, I no. do. I think what it says is, if you are really, really talented, if you're really, really intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you know, uh, have matriculated from the highest, you know, most recognized institutions in this country. Um, and if you're really, 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 really lucky, you might be president. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it says something about like where individual black people, like what they can possibly achieve. You know, it's like when mm-hmm. Jackie Robinson, you know, uh, integrates, MLB, it doesn't mean Major League Baseball is no longer racist. That's not what it means. You know what I mean? But it means Mm. a particular kind of black person can play in Major League Baseball now.
0: And it Um, it was also done with the collusion of whites who wanted that to happen, like Brand Tricky, you know, and certain people. That's exactly it. You know, that helped facilitate that. Yeah, exactly.
1: Right, right, right. But I have to say, even that one qualified success that I just offered, I don't think was true 30 years ago. I don't think that was the case 30 years ago.
0: Do you think race relations you know, are think, better now than they were 30 years ago?
1: No, I wouldn't say that. I think that your, like the ability of an, in, like that, like I think there's a difference between like when you talk about the collective in terms of 40 million people and what one person, you know, can act like what 40 million, the fate of 40 million people versus what one person, what's possible for one person.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think
1: there's more possible for individual black people today. Mm-hmm. Um, than it is, you know, just in terms of you know state of black. So I mean, in that area, I think it's better. In that one area,
0: I would say it's better. Uh-huh. You don't think blacks as a group have the ability to move throughout the uh, let's say the the class system in America better now than they could have thirty right. years ago? You think that's it's no, still the same I, I obstacles? So.
1: I do. I what, do. I do. What, um, is, what is
0: the biggest obstacle? Because I, I think. Uh, well, I, I mean. I think that blacks mm-hmm. have been more mobile in the past 30 years mm-hmm. than certainly the hundred years before that. Yeah,
1: I think I, if you want to. So I would say there is more mobility now than before the civil yeah. rights movement. Right. But I think and I've seen, you know, some data on this that actually shortly after the civil rights movement, progress began to freeze. I believe the wage gap is about what it was between black, black people and white people right now. And I have to check this, but I believe it's about where it was since the mid 70s. In other words, black ra- wages have risen, but so have whites. And the difference is about the same as what it was. Have you ever been? Uh, have
0: you ever been asked this question? I just thought of this as a, I don't know if anyone's made this distinction. The mm-hmm. idea of race relations versus like racism, you know, which I believe are two different yeah. things, you know, like for me, just <laughs> from my perspective, but, you know, I was born the same year as the president. And when I did the White House Correspondence Dinner, you know, the last thing that I said before I said, you know, my nigga or whatever that people think about. But right. I was speaking about a time. I mean, we were born into a world that you know, I'm saying the president and myself, like we're buddies. Right? But, you know, <laughs> you know, at at our mere birth we were held in contempt by society, (laughs) you know, I mean, a black man couldn't use the same bathroom and all that kind of stuff. You know, you couldn't even be the quarterback of a football team. You know, the world was so different. And to be the leader of the free world, I saw as this movement, but I kind of, I see more of a distinction between what I'll call race relations and what I believe are roadblocks by racism itself. I think the roadblocks Mm -hmm. I think are different today there are different types of robots. Like uh, I think mass incarceration isn't talked about enough as something yeah. that's hurt a lot yeah. of poorer societies. But yeah. I, I think race relations are more. I don't know if race relations have improved, you know. But I do think systemic mm-hmm. racism has, and that's why I think it's hard to to. It's I think it's hard for people to make that distinction, you know, because I'll, I'll put it a different it's so way. Tough. Well, I'll put it a different way. Let me put it in this way, and I think it's because a lot of the roadblocks have become more class than it is race, but a lot of race is already entwined with class in a way where it's indistinguishable in some ways, you know, even, even when people talk about black, ta people talk about blacks, they think of ghetto, but they don't think of middle-class blacks. Right, right. No, 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 they don't.
1: No, they don't. They don't at all. They don't at all. I think like, uh, is there a difference between now and say 1965? Yes. Mm
2: -hmm. You know, I mean, I,
1: I, I don't think there's any way around that. Um, at the same time, man, like when you start like looking at some of these numbers, like
2: first mm-hmm.
1: of all, you just look at the wealth gap, and you you, you yeah, realize the that for terrible. every nickel of wealth, yeah, I mean, my God, white families have a dot like the difference, <laughs> yes, and, yes, I mean that's huge. No, it's it's that's ridiculous. Huge, huge it's terrible.
0: We're we're laughing you know, out of uh, uncomfortableness for everybody out there. That's right.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. You know what I mean? And you look at, you know, the incarceration rate and the difference in terms of incarceration for, Mm -hmm. you know, African-Americans, you know, versus white. I mean, it is huge, sprawling, sprawling, sprawling chasms. Um, I just I just think if you're, you know, if you're an African-American individual who has certain things, you can go really, really far. I mean, I see that in my own life, to be honest with you. I mean, right now I have, you know, the kind of opportunity that my dad. Did not have right. right. Same for me. But I think, <clears throat> yeah. But I think there are very few of us. That's what I'm saying. I think there are very few. I think like those 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 people get to that point where they can have those opportunities. They just aren't like as many. Like that's not a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Do you, you, you know as compared to you know the, those who don't?
0: Well, yeah. I would say both numbers are growing, but the the those who don't numbers growing at a more alarming rate and a more devastating yeah. rate. Mm-hmm. You know. And I think mm-hmm. that imbalance mm-hmm. is should be paid attention to more personally. You know, I just think it's right. a terrible thing. <clears throat> I think it's a thing in all society. I think it's hurt us the most. But um, that wealth gap, uh, I mean, God, we could talk forever about that. <laughs> I mean, it's one yeah. of the biggest um, horrible things going on in the world right now, actually. But in this country, I don't know. Right. It, just, it took a turn at a certain point with that. And I don't know if there's any going back. But, you know, uh, an issue related to wealth gap – kind of related is reparations. And I remember when you wrote this article Mm -hmm. in the Atlantic, this was a couple of years ago, I think now, right? Was it 2015 Mm -hmm. when you Mm -hmm. wrote that? 16? I don't remember.
1: Yeah. 14, 14.
0: Yeah. It kind of shook things up. I remember because that's one of those words that people hear reparations and they kind of lose their mind. You know, what, what, uh, do you remember when you wrote that? Where, where were you at that point? What, what made you want to write that? I, I will ask that question.
1: Um, well, first, A, it was the wealth gap. It was, mm-hmm. you know, understanding that, but it wasn't just understanding the wealth gap. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, when I became aware, so there's one way of talking about a wealth gap that says there's a gap between individual families. So like the, the 20 to 1 ratio that I used earlier, a nickel
2: mm-hmm. of
1: black wealth for every dollar of white wealth. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't actually capture everything that's wrong. The problem is because America is so heavily segregated, right. um, what you have is differences in wealth between communities. So mm-hmm. even if you're one of the black people who has, say, more than a nickel, let's say you have 50 cents... Mm-hmm it's highly likely that most of the people in most of your network and most of the rest of your family, and most of your neighborhood are nickel people. Yeah. Um, yeah and right. so what that means is your your, your environment is actually different. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you can have individually more wealth than somebody else, but your entire environment, who you're going to marry, who your kids are going to marry, who yeah. your friends are going to be, your entire social world is going to be very, very different. hmm and understanding that, that was like a different, you know, level of of, of poverty, you know, that that I understood it. Then you start asking the question, well, how did you get that way? Right. <laughs> and, and you find yourself talking about housing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and seeing, you know, how things. And, and I, I came to understand that many of the problems, if not all of, you know, I, like there's always this debate, I think, in, in the minds of Black folks, like how much of this is us, and how much of this is, you know, what was done to us. And by mm-hmm. the time I got the case for reparations, I was pretty clear that. Um, it was what was done to us,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that doesn 't mean that i didn 't have behaviors that I got pissed off about when I saw black people you know doing them. but the fact of the matter was I had also reached a point in my life where I saw white people doing those things too, and it was just less of a penalty. <laughs> it just cost them so much less
0: right i always <laughs> said I always said the benefit of the doubt is more racist than anybody you know oh <laughs> the, my God. the benefit of the doubt I mean, itself it is, is what 's racist too
1: it is, so, it is, it is. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. Donald Trump gets the benefit of the doubt that Barack oh, Obama never no, would. No,
0: ridiculous. You know, don't even get me scared. I mean, that's, that's pretty clear.
1: So anyway, you know, I shall have to say it. Once I had that, it was, you know, okay, so what could be done about that?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: what I realized was that there had been people for a long time, you know, who had been trying to do something about mm-hmm. it. Um, and that's what took me back to reparations, which is a concept that's much older than I, I initially thought. I mean, it literally goes back to the American Revolution. You know, and black folks, you know, trying to get reparations, you know, way, way back then.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that was really the starting point for me. I like, just understand.
0: Do you think reparations is something that can happen? Is it realistic? Is it something that you think the country might do? And is it something that you think would be good for everybody involved? Where, where do you stand in that? now? I got
1: to tell you, Larry, I, I think it's the only way out. I think it's the only way out. I don't think it's the sort of thing that would happen in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was the sort of thing that would happen in my child's lifetime. Yeah. Um, but the way I think about it is the first thing that has to happen is people have to realize that something actually did happen. Mm-hmm. Like, are there are actual reasons for why you know these differences between black and white people actually exist in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the work of a generation. Can, and then you can start okay. getting to okay, what 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 can be done?
0: Mm-hmm. So you see reparations as an acknowledgement of something even more than a repairing of something, you know? No, or,
1: no, no. I, I, there is money involved. Right.
0: <laughs> see, I think brothers should just. I think I think we should just get like something called the black tab. You know. So like uh, uh-huh. you go into a furniture store and they say, Okay, that'll be twenty five hundred dollars. Okay, just put it on my tab. <laughs> put it on my tab. Like. <laughs> just right. so, I'm sorry, what tab the black tab. <laughs> put it on the black tab, yeah. you know? yeah. <clears throat>
1: I mean, you know, there are all kinds of ways to deal with this. I mean, like you saw like if Georgetown, you know, did this research and found that, you know, they had basically sold sold off enslaved black people in order to you know continue functioning and so they said alright to everybody who's a descendant of anybody we sold I mean mm-hmm. they literally said this you can come here and you don't have to pay tuition right you know what I mean like very specific thing that actually happened recently yeah. you know um, and so I think um, like there are all sorts of ways to do this that that you know I, I think could be looked at
0: mm-hmm. have you been following this NFL protest
1: I have yeah I have I have
0: Yeah. do you have an opinion about that of what's going on with that
1: I do um I wish uh, more people uh, went to Colin Kaepernick's website. Mm-hmm. Um, he pledged to give away a million dollars uh, to various charities, and he has been scrupulous about documenting where that money is going and what it's going for. I think it's, it's actually pretty incredible, you know, mm-hmm. as incredible as you know what what, what he did on the field. Um, I think it's made me it's made it very hard for me to watch football. Mm-hmm. um not the protest but the reaction to the protests made it really hard for me to watch football hmm. um i you know um i i you know as somebody who came at age you know really during the 80s and 90s where black athletes were not you know, really saying too much about politics they didn't have too much to say about it right. you know um i'm heartened that there's so many now you know who are so aware and so conscious and educated about, you know, what's going on around them. I, I just, I, I like seeing that spirit of engagement, you know, because it wasn't really there when I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think he's done something big. I don't, I don't think, like, like, whatever you think of what he did now, I mean, he really did give up his career. I mean, he really, like, he really sure. did sacrifice his livelihood. For mm-hmm. And I don't think, like, people get that. You know, um, he wasn't a bad quarterback, Last year. if he hadn't done that, he most certainly would be signed right now. You know, it's fairly clear.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I uh, find the effort to get him his job back confuses what the issue is about. Personally, because uh-huh. uh-huh. I, I agree with you. I think if you do something like that, you go in knowing that the cost may be your job, but that's part of. He-
1: to, but, I but, think he knew of, that. He of, course, to, right?
0: of course, course, Tanahasi, because yeah. that's part of what protesting is, is there's something at stake right. to be given up. Otherwise, it's we're just right. having a conversation. But that's uh, exactly right. And because protests exactly by right. design are meant to make people uncomfortable, and mm-hmm. m- many times there's something at stake in it, you know, which is usually your job. But that's part of the bargain right. of getting attention to something that's that right. important. So to right. me— the effort to get him his job back obfuscates what the actual issue is, you know. Mm. This was never about mm-hmm. football, for Christ's sakes. Why are you, Why is it about football no. right now, you know?
1: No, 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 not at all, not at all. And I, I think, um, I don't remember the last time an athlete did that. I don't remember the last time I said, you know, I'll give it up. I'll give millions of dollars up. I'll give it up, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, because I, I believe in this. You know, um, that is... My applaud is courage. I really do.
0: You have to go back to Ali, not going to Vietnam. That's right.
1: That's yeah. exactly right. That's exactly right.
0: Yeah, I mean the fact that anybody—we really live in the age of sneaker deals and two hundred million dollar NBA contracts. You know. Uh huh. I don't know if people are going to be. Yeah, and he would just
1: part with it.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you this: Do you do you think we'll ever see another black president? In our lifetime, Uh,
1: I think it's more likely than most people
0: suspect. (laughs) You think it's it's more Um, than likely?
1: I think it's more likely than most people suspect. I would not be shocked if we saw a black or a uh, Latino or Latina president, Mm -hmm. Um, and that is because of the unique makeup of the Democratic Party right now, Mm -hmm. um, which is relatively interesting. Black and brown people are so concentrated in the party and have so much power in the South. Mm-hmm. And you can't really get through the primaries without, you know, getting through the South right now. I mean, that was what happened with Bernie Sanders. He just couldn't get through. And so I think that means if, you know, I think that gives a kind of advantage,
2: mm-hmm. you know, in,
1: in the process. And then I don't know what will happen. And once you get to the general, I mean, not anything could happen. I mean, who knows at that point, you know, as we just saw, Yeah. you know, who knows what you come up against. So I actually wouldn't be shocked if we saw another. one.
0: I'm kind of contrary in that regard. I feel like, if we see another one, it might actually come out of the Republican Party. Oh, uh, we could. You're b- right. Before, no, that's not wrong. Yeah, that's before wrong it comes out all. of the Democratic Party. And in fact, mm-hmm. the Republican Party arguably has more, I'll call it important diversity coming up through his ranks, you know, where the Democratic Party seems like a mess. But that's a whole political <laughs> conversation, <laughs> you know, right here. Ton Hans, thanks so much for being with me. I just have one last question I want to ask you, and I appreciate you sure. giving up your time. And, you know, we could talk for hours. And you know, I, I met you years ago. I, you talked about Aspen in your book. I, that's I met you at the Aspen mm-hmm. Ideas Festival years ago. You're so that's nice. Right. That's right. We were both uh, just pups on this subject. You know, in terms of the in terms of the <laughs> public, I'd been doing it in my work for years, but nobody really knew me. You know, at that time. But uh, mm-hmm. you interviewed mm-hmm. me about my book. I, it was so nice meeting you back then. And I yeah,
2: knew, no, I knew,
0: we, I knew where you were going, brother. I knew where you was on your way. Um, <laughs> But, I love hearing about I love the personal aspect of your book and hearing about your journey I think it's so um it's so inspirational I love hearing those stories but um do you think you. but on that note, should blacks as a group black Americans optimistic or pessimistic about the future and why and now i'll give you my answer i i'm I am an optimist, even though i'm a realist, and I want people to be optimistic yeah. and I think there are a lot of things to be optimistic about but i'd love to hear. The, uh, the intellectual in the group among us <laughs> it's taken, I mean it.
1: <laughs> it depends on like what you, what you do you want do you uh, like need to feel like in your lifetime you mm-hmm. know um, all of these great you know some 400 years of wrongs will get righted um, mm-hmm. no I can't I can't say that um, mm-hmm. I like being black and I like being black in, in America mm-hmm. you know, um, the way I think about it is like this your life should be about something,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I think what being black in this country has offered me is the opportunity to um, not just you know bear witness to you know fight to, you know over, over justice, but to be a part of them. Like I feel like I'm, I'm aware, you know, of the LGBT struggle of yeah. you know struggles around gender in a way that I would not be if I were not black. Now that's not to say all black people are don't 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 misconstrue that. Mm-hmm. But it automatically gives you, you know, a kind of grounding, you know, right away, you know, in a kind of rootedness. Uh, you know, life is struggle, man. Mm-hmm. Life is struggle. And, you know, there's no other struggle I would rather be rooted in than, than, than this one. I, I don't, I don't, optimism is not the word that comes to mind.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I like it, though. Like, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, weirdly yeah. enough. You know what I mean? I, I, I wouldn't want to be... It gives me a tremendous amount of fulfillment to be able to write the things I write, to go out and have a conversation that I'm able to have. I like my life. <laughs> yeah, I can say.
0: <laughs> I think at the end of the day, I think years from now, and I think it's starting already because of Trump, <clears throat> I really do think mm. the Obamas are going to serve as an inspiration for generations to come for just the mm. simple love of human mm. decency in class and class yeah. and what his yeah. presidency meant to us as a symbol of you know, the real promise of this country in in a different type of way than some of these other ways, you know. But, right. Uh, but we shall see. Right. Thank right. you. Thank you so much for being here. And um, good luck with the book. It's a great book, you guys. We were eight years in power, the brilliant ta Coates. Thanks for being on Black in the Air. All
1: right. Thanks so much, Larry. All right, my brother. I'll see you.